And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Howdy, everybody. Arthur Staple. Welcome back to the Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic. Joined, as always, by my co-host, MSG Network, Clearside Hockey, ex-Ranger goalie, Steve Valiquette. Steve, welcome. Hey, I'm glad to be back, Arthur. It was a great <laughs> week of hockey. It was. We were we were talking a little bit about panic time last week and uh, four games since then. Three wins, one pretty decisive loss last night to arguably the team that's playing the best in the league right now in the Bruins. Uh, and because that was last night, uh, and Steve was not on the air talking about it, and he's got a lot to say, uh, we'll start off with that one, even though um, there is some good news in this past week. But the bad news from last night uh, was twofold. They were beaten by a team that's playing a lot better than them. Um, Igor Shosturkin gave up a couple of ones that you don't usually see him give up. Um, they were outplayed and, and outchanced. Um, it was just kind of a you know a, a team that was better than them. It was an exciting game. And the second part of the bad news is Ryan Lundgren leaving the game in the first period. A couple shifts. He took a couple shifts after a, a blindside hit from David Pasternak, who was pissed off that Lindgren had hit him along the boards quite cleanly uh, a little few seconds earlier. Uh, and Lindgren left, and things kind of went a little haywire on D after that. And they could go a little haywire on D going forward because if this guy is out for a little while, uh, Steve – the Rangers, the one area of their game that they can't afford any injuries, I mean, outside of the goalie, uh, is on defense to any of their top five guys because 
Libor Hayek is probably going to go in and pair with Adam Fox on Sunday if Ryan Lindgren isn't back uh, at practice tomorrow. Um, and that's not great. That's a big drop off. So, you know, what did you take away from last night? And did you kind of feel like once Lindgren went out, you know, the, the game was already kind of trending in that direction while he was there. But once he went out, you know, the Rangers fought pretty valiantly to tie it a couple of times, but never really felt like they were securely in that one. No, I, I thought the biggest difference in the game, Arthur, was the offensive zone time that Boston was able to sustain and then get material scoring chances from that the Rangers weren't just able to do. I, I didn't think it was a game, at least I was told before the game, that Boston's transition was going to be significantly better than what the Rangers were going to be able to play. And it, and it was going to be a game off the rush that if Boston was able to go, the Rangers weren't going to be able to keep up. See, I didn't think that was the chance. It, I thought it was basically a game where it was very even off the rush and it wasn't that chance type that that seemed to stand out to me, but it was the offensive zone time where Boston had an advantage of 20 scoring chances in the offensive zone versus the Rangers four. And the main difference to me was that Boston was able to play and create a game that looked playoff heavy and the Rangers just weren't. And I think that after this game, it's a, it's a great time because you in the timing of a season you want to know where you're at you know into that 11th and 12th game and for the rangers they could say all right bit of a measuring stick what happened last night um how can we rectify it what happened and why and i think when you go over the video the next morning for the coaching staff you see that there's a few opportunities where you've got to go north and you go d to d and then it ends up with a slot chance uh you lose a 50-50 puck on your uh, your side of the blue line against the wall gets back to the middle for a great A scoring chance. There's a giveaway behind the net immediately to the slot for a one-timer. And I think you look at these certain things and you want to talk to your players at that point and say, guys, um, score of the game, time of the game, where's the pressure? These aren't looks that we're looking for. These are forced. And I feel like in a certain way, we shot ourselves in the foot here. And I think the players learn from that because you win three games in a row and you're going up against a team that we oftentimes say in hockey, it's not who you're playing, but when you're playing them. We might look mm-hmm. back at this time, Arthur, and say, geez, that was Boston's best when they were at their best looking back on the uh, 82 games at the end of the season. Who knows? But they're certainly playing their best hockey right now and they look terrific. I thought the game was won for Boston in their ability to keep the puck deep and be able to maintain just a lot of chances off the uh, cycle. And that's not something that you see, you know, mostly from the second half of last season uh, through the majority of the games so far this year. It's only 12 games. It's hard to really identify the way the Rangers play fully. But you don't see that a lot from this Ranger team in their in their D zone. They're usually, you know, especially on, say, the 2-1 goal, a Charlie Coyle goal, where Jacob Truba has decent position on Coyle, just doesn't tie him up. Um, you know, the the exchange with Ryan Reeves trying to trying to keep up with Hampus Lindholm bit of a mismatch but also you know the, the the rangers are in good position and they're usually when they're in good position they're able to to get the puck out of their zone this is not something that they've struggled with a lot this season i don't think no no I, look i love the way they've played and, and in fact up until up until the game against boston i was saying that uh, the rangers can play any way you know they can play any way they can play you off the rush they can play you a hard heavy game i mean there was a physicality to the game that you have to love like the Rangers lose Lindgren in the game, but he has uh, two great hits himself uh, on Bergeron and Pasternak. Um, Braden Schneider 
has a yeah. great hit on Frederick. Like I love, and when I look at the Rangers lineup on D two, it is Lindgren, Schneider, Truba that can really play tough. Like they can play tough. You, those are three. If you're asking around the league, Arthur, people from team to team would say those are three heavy players. Those are three tough defensemen to play against. So by no means do the Rangers have a soft defense. And they've had a very good season up until this point, um, protecting their own net front and in their own zone compared to other teams. Like I think that sometimes our fan base, just like every other fan base, they really focus on any mistake. But in the context of how everybody else is playing, the Rangers are playing really good in a league where goals are going in about seven every game. How about last night? 13 games in the schedule last night, uh, 6.69 goals scored yeah. on average. Every night, Arthur, we're seeing four, three games. So it's hard for fans too to, and it was great actually watching Lundquist on TNT the other night because, you know, he was talking about when I was playing, geez, I'd see a two-on-one every two games, three games. Yeah. We, we just saw nine two-on-ones in the Buffalo-Pittsburgh <laughs> game. Right. And Hank and I are texting each other. It's not the same game, Arthur. It's not. It's not the one that we played. And that's what Henrik and I marvel about. And in fact, I was on the ice yesterday morning uh, giving private lessons and I'm talking to the shooters that I'm with. And I'm like, you know what, guys, it just dawned on me last night watching Buffalo Pittsburgh. I don't know if I could play in this NHL. I'm not an East to West goalie. I'm not, you know, I have a 24 inch vertical, man. I never dunked a basketball. Like I don't have that pop. And um, we were laughing about it, but I'm dead serious. Like sometimes when a lot of us now retired players look at the era that they're currently playing in and how they're playing it and the skill level, I mean, I got to be honest, I don't think I'm in the NHL right now. And in the same way a fighter may say that, you know, there's not really a role for the enforcer anymore. I wouldn't have games in the NHL. So at any rate, that's just uh, my takeaway after another night of hockey around the NHL. They were physical, which was good. And you bring up Braden Schneider, which, you know, Gerard Gallant had no problems with him. Obviously, the hit was a great hit on Trent Frederick. He had no problems with Schneider dropping the gloves when A.J. Greer and Frederick kind of went back at him. Um, I think in the over, you take a 10,000-foot view, maybe you want him to just skate away from that fight because they're down to 5D and then they were down to 4D. They did play well in that second period, so maybe it, it didn't have an effect. Maybe it more cumulative later on. But we need to talk about Ryan Lindgren's absence from that game and potential absence going forward, like we said. This is a position where the Rangers cannot afford any long-term injuries or even a short-term injury right now. You know, if Ryan Lindgren, we don't know what it is. If it's if it is a head injury, if he needs at least a week, which seems to be kind of the the standard uh, head injury or concussion protocol right now. We've seen it already with Sammy Blay. We've seen it right now with Philip Hedel, uh, Vitaly Kravtsov. You know, if it's a week, that's three games. The Rangers are going to have to get by with 6D in these three games. Uh, even to find a seventh D right now, Matthew Robertson had a very good start to the season in Hartford, his first four games. He's missed the last two. Uh, we're not really sure what the situation is. If he's hurt, if it's long-term, uh, Hartford plays tonight. Uh, so we'll see if anybody's in the lineup. They've got a few career AHLers who've got some NHL experience, a guy like Andy Walensky, who had a decent camp, but is a right shot guy. Right now we could use a left shot guy. Um, there's a lot of Situations that are probably making Chris Drury wince right now or, or run a hand through his hair because injuries happen, but like you said, time of the year and and position where you get where you find these injuries, um, you know, on uh, up front they've been able to compensate for Kravtsov being out or, or even Heedle being out, winning three games without him. But on D is a different story. Every team has warts, and 
at this time of year, they are more magnified because everybody wants to believe in the first 10, 12 games of the season, they can evaluate themselves as a contending team and being a top tier team. But there isn't a GM in the league right now that can look at their team and say that we're not going to be better by the time we add at the trade deadline. So this is not the Rangers team that we're going to see going into the playoffs, but they have to be good enough to be able to get the opportunity to do that. And you know what I think about with Lindgren leaving? You know what it's an opportunity for? For Fox to elevate the guy that he gets uh, to play with. Because every great player, and Fox is a Norris Trophy winner, every great player over the last 10 years that has wingers that may not be first line capable uh, become that when you play with Sidney Crosby. When you play with Connor McDavid, he he helps you. He elevates you. And John Tavares, when he was with the Islanders. And, and you know, like you look at these great players over the last 10, 15 years, I want to see the same thing from Fox. I think it's a great opportunity for Fox. If he has to take a run of maybe two to four games where he's got to have somebody like Libor Hayek to pair up with, can you elevate him? Can you Can you help him grow and help him play his best game, be his best self? I, I'm looking forward to seeing that because – up until this point, we haven't really seen that. Um, when Lindgren has missed time, it's really actually hurt Fox. So I think that's a great challenge for him. He's a great player. Um, I love the way he's playing. I think he's he's playing a lot right now, but I think it's an opportunity. It's a challenge for him. Take it on. I remember there was a game last year where Victor Hedman, um, there was a game where the Tampa Bay Lightning had, because of uh, salary cap issues, four defensemen. And he played something like 32 minutes, and he was the best player on the ice. And you know, it's it's great to see the great players, the big impact players, have an opportunity to do that and go out and do it. And look, I'll tell you what, it has to happen too because of the Metro. I'm looking at this this morning, and the New Jersey Devils are playing the best of any team in the Metro. Carolina is not too far behind. Islanders are playing terrific. The Rangers just won three in a row and then dropped a game. These are good teams. And then we're not even talking about Pittsburgh, who's a playoff team that just isn't playing well right now. And then Washington, like there's only four teams that are going to make it. And right now is when you've got to, you know, build up your, your points. You don't want to chase this thing. So uh, there should be urgency to go along with the fact that, you know, you've got a top player that's going to miss some time potentially. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe the one thing to take out and in the middle of a game, you don't you're not really seeing a lot of game planning for missing a guy, but the the combinations that that Gerard Gallant, and Mike Kelly and Gord Murphy threw out to kind of compensate, you know, Keandre Miller I think played over 26 minutes, Adam Fox played 25, Truba and Zach Jones were over 23. Um you saw a little bit of of Jones and Fox and obviously the the need was for offense when they were down a goal. You saw Miller and Fox, which was a pair that they put together during, you know, to just kind of get through some preseason games. These are maybe, you know, a little bit of a preview of what you might need to see. And, um, and like you said, I think, you know, Adam Fox did get the tying goal to make it 2 2 and, and also had a turnover, uh, that led to the Bruins 4 2 goal. Um, 
But I think on the whole, you know, you do need to see some guys step up and it's maybe it's early enough. And I think, um, you know, we saw some stepping up happen in the pre- three previous wins, which were the good news that we can talk about. Um, three games that the Rangers were tied in the third period. They won all three, got six points. They had to go to overtime to beat Philly in a game that was incredibly lopsided for a one nothing game. Uh, and sort of tells me that when the when Carter Hart takes the horseshoes off of his feet, uh, <laughs> Flyers might come back down to earth pretty fast. Um, but in those three games, you know, I think you saw, especially in Dallas, kind of a, a rare moment of uh, some depth scoring that the Rangers desperately need, especially with Heedle out, although it seems like he might be close to a return. Um, Julian Gauthier made a contribution, which was a big one. Um you know, Zach Jones had his first NHL goal, which proved to be the winner. And then in Arizona, you know, I we didn't see quite as much of it, but just you know, doing what's necessary to win. You, like we always talk about, it, and I think, you know, for me covering the Islanders for years and years, Barry Trotz, who always had uh, a lot of eloquence around lots of things, it's all about the results. However, you know, you want to play well, but you got to get two points, especially this time of year. You bank those points and you worry about how you're playing later on. So uh, what did you see? Maybe the a trend through those three wins that uh, that was something positive or something the Rangers can carry going forward? Yeah, you know what? I'm with you. And as far as uh, the conversation towards depth scoring goes, uh, isn't that always the differentiator in a seven-game playoff series? Yeah. You know, and – you look at the lineup last night, Boston has their third and fourth line has 14 goals this year, and the Rangers' third and fourth line has four. So, look, I love Gauthier's goal and effort in Dallas, and last night, VZ gets his first great net drive to the right area of the ice, beautiful pass advantage Ed. Um, I just think that everybody has to understand that um, – it's not okay just to have the time go by in a hockey game and not get hurt and just um, you know take your ice so that we can have the top six fresh. It's not about that. It's not about breaking even. Like you want everybody to be an impact, and even if Sammy Blay, who hasn't scored yet, or Carpenter or Reeves haven't scored yet, every shift can you have a physical impact? Can you bring some energy? Can you hunt pucks down? You know, you, you just want that because. I still see, again, with an $81.5 million salary cap, an opportunity for those guys to carve out some more minutes for themselves before Chris Drury goes to look for replacements. You've got to do something to get noticed. And I feel like the game last night against the Bruins, if it was different from the previous three games, it was really the depth of their forward group. And of course, you know, along with, Schneider being not available for a while because he's he's got a major and Lindgren being out, it was that depth that hurt the Rangers' defense. They were able to take advantage of an opportunity because they have that depth, they play that way, and they have that continuity. But um, my takeaway for the last four games was this group was pushed around a little bit um, as far as their own uh, belief system. And they struck back. I thought they had a great resolve to be able to figure it out and find a way in Dallas and not overestimate and play light against Arizona. A lot of perseverance to get through a game they dominated against Philadelphia and found a way. And they played against the top team last night against the Bruins. And, you know, they got worked a little bit. But I think that the learning over the last four games is going to help 
springboard this group to keep it going and, and learn a little bit from last night, but be happy with the fact that you've gotten your season back on the rails. You know, we, you know how I love to talk about trades and the deadline, your favorite topic and salary cap and all that stuff. There's an argument to be made from what you're saying that if this team, you know, and, and they and they have some options. They've got Will Cooley, who's, who is playing, from what I understand, is healthy in Hartford and has been playing and has been playing well. And he's he's kind of the most promising young guy. And then further down the road, you can think about a guy like Brennan Othman adding his skill and his, and his you know, gritty nature to that top nine. Um, so this is not necessarily a long-term issue for them in the in this bottom six, even when Heedle comes back because Kravtsov is out, we, you know, we we don't know. It's three injuries for him already in a month into the season, so he's not it's not someone you can count on. So this is really when you know Heedle's in, and you've got Goodrow, and you've got VC, and you've got this fourth line with Carpenter and Reeves and Blay, which you know doesn't get a whole lot done, but doesn't necessarily give up a lot uh, other than last night. Um, is there an argument to be made for you? And we keep you know, and the separate thing that we keep in the back of our minds is that. Does Patrick Kane want to be a Ranger? Is that something that they can pull off where you're suddenly making your top six even more potent? Um, more along the lines of what Chris Drury did last trade deadline with all that cap space and the available assets to bring in guys that slotted your depth in better, guys like Tyler Mott, who had a who had a pretty nice impact in that bottom six. Um, there is an argument to be made that you maybe look for another Tyler Mott or two instead of one Patrick Kane. And does that make you better? Do you feel like you talk about playoff series and you need your depth guys to to produce. Do you think that that's a real consideration? If you're, you know, put your GM hat on for a second, would you rather have two guys that make your bottom six better or one guy that makes a very good top six even better? All right. So I believe in the top six. I believe in the core scoring. I believe in the amount of chances they get to score. What hasn't happened yet is having a high shooting percentage. So when you're evaluating your team from Chris Drury's perspective, you're looking at the game that they play, the style. Can they play different ways? Because you're going to have to win many different ways and play many different ways to go deep in the playoffs. And you're looking at your team and you're evaluating where their strengths and weaknesses are as a, as a whole and your players. And I think that right now what you'd really want to focus in on is five-on-five five scoring because – I love their power play, and when it's running hot, it's unstoppable. Um, Boston is very good at suppressing high-danger chances on the penalty kill, so that was another issue. So far, the Rangers have run into a, a few teams that have killed well against them, Islanders, Columbus, San Jose, Boston mm-hmm. last night. The teams that have been difficult to get inside on, the Rangers have had some difficulty. They're going to have to make some adjustments. But here's the one thing. It's the, it's the shooting percentage. So – All right, so I got a call yesterday from one of the guys in our office, and they said, basically, the Rangers are breaking down our expected goals. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, (laughs) (laughs) he goes, they're minus 13 right now. They should have scored 46 goals. They've only scored 33. And our expected goals model, it usually runs on a very straight line with the actual goals that are being scored in the NHL. And that's that's why people like to use our company, because it's very accurate. And... They're minus 13 right now is because they're underperforming by three goals on high danger, six fewer on mid danger, and four fewer on low danger. The low danger ones really tell me they haven't had a lot of luck. So mm-hmm. I want to look at that, and, and I take that seriously. So the next step is 
what are they doing at five on five overall? Well, they're a top five team at getting the chance, but they're 28th in five on five shooting percentage. They're 26th in five on five off the rush. They're 26th in five on five in the ozone. And they're 13th at five on four in the power play. And you look at the games too, right, Arthur? Like we look at the first star of the game, Hellebuck, Tarasov, Georgiev, Sorokin, all first stars. Hart was a third star the other night against the Flyers. So are we sh- like, I always question, are we shooting too much because the Rangers shot volume is getting pretty high? Are we warming the guy up? And then I like to look at what type of chances, like if we know that we're underperforming, what chances are we underperforming on? And one of them that really stands out to me, Arthur, is broken plays. And it's the one chance that I've looked at over the years and really attributed it to luck. And I had an NHL coach tell me once that he thought that games between two good teams would rely on 40% luck to go one way or the other to force an outcome. And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't really like the sound of that. I don't want to you know, buy into luck being a 40% differentiator, but the Rangers have scored six fewer goals than they should have based on luck, broken play goals. Uh, They've underperformed on breakaways, one-timers, rebounds, screens, but I think the big one that sticks out here is luck. And then, you know, what I, I have to remind myself of is why do players get overpaid sometimes on contracts? Why do teams give players too much money for uh, a career year? And I went into my way back machine because I remember looking at this for uh, David Pasternak when he had his career high 48 goals in 2019-20. He had 12 broken play goals that year. But in the previous year, he had 38 goals, the 18-19 season. Do you know how many broken play goals he had in the 18-19 season? How many? He had zero. So, (laughs) no, I mean it like how does a player go from zero to 12? On right. And for the folks that are listening, broken play goals are just ricochet that goes off a shin pad and then dumps to the other side of the net and it just lands on your stick and you bang it in. You know, like there's a lot of luck there. So if the Rangers as a team are you know, really suffering from the worst shooting percentage in a lot of these areas in the league, is that going to turn? I think it is. So how much do I want to add more offensive depth to my top six? Or am I looking at this and saying, look, This is going to come around. We're just a little unlucky right now. We get plenty of chances because as any goal scorer will tell you, I'm not worried until I'm not getting chances. As a team, they're getting plenty of chances. The players are getting plenty of chances. The next thing I would really look at is my players. Like Who's underperforming? Who's not scoring when they're in scoring areas? And there's a lot of guys that stand out. The only top six forward that's overperforming uh, the chances they get in shooting percentage is Panarin. Kreider's got four goals on 43 scoring chances. He's underperforming. Lafreniere's got two on 35. Trocek's got four on 43. Kako's got two on 22. Zabanjad's six on 48 is underperforming what he normally will. But things can change on a dime. Kreider can have a hat trick and be right back to where he should be. Or Lafreniere can go out and have a couple of games over a couple or a couple of goals rather over a couple of games and be right back where he's supposed to be. And so you try not to hit the panic button and think about adding more offense. I think they've got plenty of offense. They just got to finish or at least figure out why they're not finishing. I mean, you look at the flyer game, it four posts in that game. Two of them were were slam dunk where you're just like, 
you know, it, well, Lafreniere's right. It's, it's it was, like shooting a foul shot and yeah. turning away from the basket because you know it's going in and it rattles around the the it goes in and out and you know there's nothing you can do about. They're it. just probably just going through that stage of the year right now, and we might once again look back on this and say, well, wow, like good thing they didn't hit the panic button there because that shooting percentage came around. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, you've been in plenty of NHL locker rooms. when. Do guys, you don't have to illustrate it necessarily for them, but do guys feel when the luck is not on their side as a group? And is there anything, does it, do you start to, does it start to get in your head as a player that you've seen where you're just saying like, you know, I can't, you know, it, it, it's like Bull Durham where the, the first baseman <laughs> needs to cur- take the curse off his bat. You know, like yeah, do you start yeah. to have that collective feeling of like, well, it's just not our year. It may not work out. I mean, and then that can, I assume, affect a team psyche quite a bit. Well, you just don't want to, I just think that you have to believe in what you're doing and you don't change anything because it can get, it can get very fickle. And for instance, you can see it with the player's behavior. One of the oldest and truest sayings in the game is you can't fool the boys. So I'm just making this up. But if Kreider's feeling it and he's telling everybody in the room, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But then you see him grab the trash can and throw a stick in the trash can because he wants a dirty goal. And, you know, everyone's like, well, that's not your normal behavior. You know, like, are you sure you're not feeling it? You know? So yeah, I mean, you can see it. You're not fooling anybody. If somebody starts to press and overreact, I just think you've got to be careful because for my money, they're producing enough offensive opportunity and uh, you, you don't want to press and try and change it up. But you know what I really liked about the Philadelphia game, Arthur? When I was a player, I used to feel like there was a moment in the third period where when you're up by a couple, the other team just gives in and goes straight individual. And you can see it. The guy that's coming over the blue line with two of his wingers and tries to go through four people himself because for two periods it didn't work with his wingers. And I remember saying to myself, oh, we got these guys. Got them. Got them right where we want them. There's like that mechanism in your head that just feels like the win is we're going to secure this because you know what? They've completely went off course. And I think that's the dangerous part of uh, being a hockey player sometimes when you're in a slump, but the Rangers didn't do that against the Flyers. They never, they never went individual. They never went their own way. They stuck together. And that's why Kreider is able to get sprung for a breakaway and finish in overtime because they stuck together. So that was, uh, it was nice to see them getting pressed up against the wall and, and challenged a little bit mentally and then responding. Now, we talk about luck, which is a subject that is it's hard to quantify. You've, you've managed to quantify it, which is good. Uh, and it's a hard one, I think, for a lot of fans to digest because we're, they root for the guys that are the best in the business. Like these, these are the elite of the elite. Luck shouldn't play a role. It plays a huge role. And now I'm going to also introduce the, the subject of time. We're three weeks away from American Thanksgiving, which – has been kind of a demarcation line. You know, I think I think the if a team is uh, Elliot Friedman is the one that's kind of started to to note this. If you're more than four points out of a playoff spot at Thanksgiving, it's a fifteen percent chance of making the playoffs, which sounds 
kind of incredulous because of how much time is left in the season. And I think last year at Thanksgiving and well before Thanksgiving, the four teams in the Metro that were in the playoff spots probably at this time last year, the first week of November, were the four teams that made it. It was yep, an incredible they were. they were. It was an incredible probability, you know, statistical anomaly that Four teams got off to really good start, and four teams got off to shit starts, and that's how it stayed the entire season. This year, it's a lot closer. I think I think first to seventh in the Metro is about a five-point spread. There's a definite difference in some games played. But when you look at, as you talked about uh, at the top, the Devils are playing a lot better than they've been. They've really started to put it together, although they have a goalie injury now to deal with out west. The Islanders have won five in a row. They look like the Islanders of old. Carolina is doing what Carolina does, which is play well almost every night. Um, the Rangers are in there and kind of in the middle, up and down. Pittsburgh is is very down, but they're always dangerous. Washington is down. They're always dangerous. And then you've got Philly and Columbus maybe are, you know, a class below the rest of the guys. But that's still, you know, that's still six teams for four, maybe five spots. Uh, and obviously in the other division in the East, the Bruins are off to their uh, very good start. Buffalo looks good. Toronto is probably going to pull it back together. There's not a lot of wiggle room if you start to, you know, win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Do you see when you're when you're on a a, a bit of a bad luck streak uh, like the Rangers are, even with a three and one record in the last four? Do guys notice that the time is getting short, or is that mostly a thing that people on the outside point to? Yeah, definitely on the outside. Um, look, I was not aware of this. Thanksgiving deadline. Um, Holland. Holland and Detroit, they made the playoffs 25 years in a row. And Kenny Holland came up with this, and I heard this after I'd retired, but it was, again, I'm going back 10 years already. So around 2012, I'd heard it. And it was something that came out of Detroit. And it, and it was kind of neat to hear because Detroit had had that level of success. And if I was a player and I had heard that or knew that and was really consciously thinking about it, geez, I don't know if I really want to know that. That's just something I wouldn't want in my head, especially, yeah. you know, you don't want it. Um, we've talked on previous episodes about the five game segment as a player, never thought about that. No chance as a manager. Yes. Thanksgiving as a manager. Yes. But that's why, and Benoit was really good about this. Benoit Lair used to say to Henrik and I, he would say, guys, when our bubble would get a little too big and uh, maybe some interference from outside, whether it was media or what have you, he would just sit us down. He'd say, guys, here's how hockey works. Managers manage, coaches coach, players play. If you think you're going to do their job, we're in trouble. If they think they're going to do your job, we're in trouble. Just let <laughs> everybody, and he would really have one of those, let's, let's cool our jets type of conversation. And I think the player's, because you're so focused on your own performance day to day, never go there and don't think about these things. But now we have analytics that, you know, and people are doing more work and qualifying and quantifying starts and how important they are. I'd have to say that that probably has leaked into the conversation with players and they probably know now that it's that important to get off to a good start or you're in trouble. Do you think the Rangers are in trouble? No, no, I don't. I don't. I, what, what I do see and what I am concerned with is just how good everybody is. That's mm -hmm. it. Not, I, I, overall, I'm, you know, look, the Rangers, I think at this stage, um, I would say they're happy, but not thrilled with their start. 
because they probably aren't happy about losing to San Jose and losing to Columbus. But overall, I mean, they have to be happy. They have to be um, happy. I wouldn't say thrilled, but they have to be, okay, we're, we're okay, boys. We're going to take care of business from this point forward. New Jersey, um, let's just take it back to you know Tuesday when the Rangers were playing against the Flyers. Before that game, you know, New Jersey and Philadelphia. Philadelphia came into New York with the 5-2-1 and one record. And yeah. Arthur, it was the biggest facade I'd ever seen, right? Like, it wasn't <laughs> even close. Like it, It's pretty cool because you can see how a team's performed to get to that record. And Philadelphia's was just not sustainable. But you look at the Devils, and it is. like I look at the Devils right now, and everything they've done in their first, I think they've also played 11, or Rangers are 12, but they play, I think they played 11. At any rate, they've played great hockey. Like, I mean, really good hockey. Maybe even the best hockey over those games of any team in the league overall. So their record, it reflects how well they've played. I'm not saying they're going to keep playing on that heater. I can't predict that. But I am saying that they've really earned where they are. And the Flyers had not. And... I just think, like I said earlier, I think you've got some really good teams. New Jersey, Carolina, Pittsburgh's better than what they're playing. They're better than what they're playing. They're just going through a, going through it right now. Washington, I, I get the hunch that Washington's not going to get in. If I was going to guess who's getting in right now, it's definitely between five teams. Rangers, Islanders, Pittsburgh, Carolina, New Jersey, and I'm not willing to pull one of those teams out yet. Okay, well, we've got some time, three weeks till Thanksgiving, and then <laughs> it won't be the defining line, but it'll it'll help us uh, separate it out. So, as always, my friend, Steve Valiquette, great stuff. Thanks so much. Man, my pleasure, Arthur. Love talking hockey with you. And thanks, everybody out there, for listening to The Garden Faithful. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a review if you're enjoying the show. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. Steve Valiquette, Chris Flannery producing. I'm Arthur Staple. We'll catch you again next time.